I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Monica Blunder is a Los Angeles-based celebrity makeup artist. She began her career assisting legendary makeup artists, including Kevin O'Quinn and Paul Starr. And today, she's established herself as an in-demand talent, working with celebrities such as Gemma Chen, Amanda Seyfried, Jessica Alba, Amelia Clark, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, and many more. Blunder's work has graced the pages of Vogue, InStyle, Harper's Bazaar, Mary Claire, GQ UK, where she worked with many photographers such as Patrick Marchelier, Mark Abrams, and Norman Jean Roy. Monica posts how-to videos on her YouTube channel, which teach her viewers everything from enhancing their natural beauty to recreating her red carpet looks. She has over 200,000 subscribers, and that number continues to increase daily. In her latest endeavor, Monica is the founder and inspiration behind her namesake brand, Monica Blunder Beauty. She's created a beauty brand constructed of thoughtful, natural products for real, everyday wear. Monica, welcome in my chair. Hi, Hi. Quinn. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm a huge fan, as you know. I've been listening to every single one of your podcasts. That's so sweet. I, I'm blown away that anybody could sit down for an hour, hour and a half, and like devote time to listening to my show. So I just am like, every time I hear that, it's like, I'm just so grateful. And I know you have been so supportive in telling people about it. And um, so yeah, it makes today extra special. It's, it's really nice to see, you know, peers in our industry and, you know, we all, you know, do the same like makeup, but it's nice to see when you find another sort of, you know, uh, you know, endeavor. And uh, it's really nice to see you uh, reaching out to do something different. Thanks. I mean, I feel like our industry is, is pretty lonely in some ways. We don't go to an office thank God, every day. And we don't, I mean, most of us, that's why we do what we do partly, but um, it's really just you, your relationship with your agent and then your clients. And then you happen to be around various gypsies of hair and makeup, I mean, hair and stylists, but we don't really get to talk to each other that much. Even if we share clients together, they're either with you or with me. And it's like, you know, it's nice to like hear about other people in the industry, I think. It's really nice to hear everyone's story and especially everyone who you have had on so far. You know, it's so nice. I know everyone and it's nice to get a little bit deeper and really get to know them. So, Monica, you grew up in Austria. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in Austria and I lived there till I was about 23, and uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles. When you grew up in Austria, it was a totally different in every way from your life right now. I mean, it's in Europe, it's kind of all one culture, right? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a very sort of small town in Austria in, in a ski region, like close to Kitzbühel. Um, so my upbringing was, you know, when I just look back, it was really safe and clean and, and simple. And, uh, you know, being surrounded by, you know, just like beauty all the time, uh, you know, just natural beauty. And I'm really grateful for, for, for that time in my was life there, that I was able to. Was grow- there anyone who yeah? wasn't white? Um, that's a very good question. I grew up around a lot of white people. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> so when so, you came to uh, America, that, that was... must have been one of the first differences that you noticed. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, I mean, before I came to America too, um, but definitely, um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm married to an Asian man, so <laughs> I definitely <laughs> went the other direction. Embraced but, it. Um, embraced yeah. it. So was, when you came to the United States, you were around 23 years old? I was around 23, uh, correct. So, and what yeah, made you decide I, um, to pack up and come to, uh, was it LA where you landed? Uh, okay. Yes. So before b- before I uh, came to LA from Austria, I actually ended up uh, going to Germany to go to makeup school. So before I did that, I went for one year to Frankfurt. And, uh, you know, after I finished high school, I I really wanted to get into the beauty business. My brother, um, who is older than me, uh, was at that time working in Munich as a camera assistant for a big uh, film company. And I would go, you know, when I was a teenager, I would always go and visit him on set and take the train from Austria. It's only like an hour away in Munich. I would go there and just visit him. And uh, and I would get really, like, I was really drawn to the makeup department. And uh, and then I was, you know, I was, I told my parents I'm like I really want to go to this makeup school and you know you have to think about where I'm from like makeup was not that was not something people would like do, could you even you know? buy makeup in your town I mean at the drugstores <laughs> right you know um but I, you know but I I loved it and when I told my dad he was like that's not a real job and you know you know he wanted me to do something different obviously and then I I really convinced him and and, and it was expensive at that time going to that school uh, it was a private school and my parents they were like we that that's something out of our price range. I don't know if we can do this. So what I did, I ended up actually writing a letter to the Austrian government. And I wish to this day, Quinn, that I would still have the letter because I think it was like a 10 page letter. And I was just telling them, (laughs) you know, that's what I want to do. And there's no schooling in Austria. And can you guys help me? And a couple of months later, they wrote back and they paid for half of the school. And my dad matched it. And that was my first experience, you know, leaving that tiny, small little town where I'm from in Austria and, you know, going to Frankfurt, a big city and, you know, having to work on the side to make money for my living. And it was an amazing experience, just like getting out of my bubble, out of that comfort. How did you even know know? that besides visiting your brother on set, like, how did you even know there was a makeup profession or career? What was your idea of makeup and fashion at that point? Um, I was really into fashion, believe it or not, in Austria. I was always really drawn to, uh, you know, clothing and beauty. And I would always practice makeup on my girlfriends. Like I remember like uh, just having this one like beautiful uh, friend who I would always like be like, can you come over? Can I like, you know, practice doing, you know, makeup on you? So uh, I was definitely, it was just sort of in me. I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So uh, did you do well yeah, in school? So I, went, I did not like school at all. I was, um, I was, I didn't like school and I couldn't wait to be done. And I finished high school, but I didn't go to college. I think so many people in our industry 
like used makeup or art as a way to kind of cope with not loving traditional like learning. Yeah. Uh, but looking back now, I wish I would have, you know, done better in school and finished, you know, because just now like getting into my other business and starting, you know, business with my makeup. It's like, oh, I wish I would have right. like, had a business degree. But you uh, know what, though, it, German it is, is an incomprehensible language. I mean, when I went to Berlin, it was like the Stuttgart, you know, the, the streets. It's like Lindenhausenstadt block. And they're like, 20 um, letters long. <laughs> German is a really difficult language. My children speak it really? now too. And uh, yeah, my kids are Because you spoke to German. them in German? Yeah. And my husband is uh, German. He's born and raised oh. in Germany. So, and it was just really important to me that they speak, you know, when they are home with their Oma and Opa, their grandparents, I was like, they have to speak German. So we have a German tutor once a week who actually lives in Berlin and they Skype with our tutor and they're really good at it. And they're really thankful now, especially Valentina, my older one. She's like, mom, I'm so thankful. It's helping because she's starting college soon. And she's like, it's helping me on my college application. And good so, for you. Yeah. German, German is hard, but, um, you know, I feel like, it, what's hard for me is because I lived in Austria or in Europe till I was like in my mid twenties and then I moved here. So I feel very similar to Hung as an example when he was on your podcast where I'm like, uh, I kind of like don't, you know what I mean? Like English is like my second language and sometimes it's really hard to express myself in English. Same. So, <laughs> you know, it's my first language <laughs> and I still get, you know, it's hard to explain. So, Especially now with like social media and that you have been in front of the camera so much. I applaud you for um, making videos in a second language. I can't imagine. Yeah, that was definitely also uh, something I had to overcome. And uh, when I started my YouTube channel, it was around, I would say, 2014, 2015. And it was just sort of like, I sort of stumbled. Actually, my husband is the one who really um, pushed me to do this because I saw a shift in our career or in our, in our business where things just started to change and YouTube just became really big. And I remember at that time I was working a lot with Megan Fox, or I'm still working with Megan Fox, but you know, that was right after her Transformer, uh, tours and things like that. And I remember being on YouTube and watching this like, girl in middle America, like doing a, a look on Megan Fox, which I actually created on one of the red carpets. And she, you know, got like millions of views for this video. And then my husband at that time was like, why don't you do a video? You like, actually you know, did the look. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, I was like, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a pretty shy person, believe it or not. And, uh, just being in front of the camera was really like daunting to me. I was like, you know, what are people going to think? Are they going to judge me? And, uh, it was actually, I learned so much just like opening it up and just doing it, you know? 
And I'm really, I'm really thankful that I started my YouTube career because um, just like it's I, what I love about it is just teaching, mm-hmm. you know, it's different than you and I going on set and doing someone's makeup or doing like a celebrity. What I love about YouTube is that it's really a community and, uh, you know, um, you teaching and, and, and I, I like what I get out of it. Like when I get comments and people from all over the world writing in and thanking me, I, I get a kick out of well, it. You were- smart to do that because COVID is actually everyone who was thinking, oh, I got to get around to doing, you know, some more social media, which was already on a lot of people's mind, including myself about the podcast. You had already, you know, had six years of, of a successful channel. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely, um, it was definitely great to have that in COVID just to have another outlet. Are you able to make money from doing YouTube channels? Um, you, I think what, what the way how I would describe it is that I got really great opportunities of getting, you know, paid content or, uh, getting, you know, get, getting to do videos for other co- companies who then pay for you to mention their products. Right. And uh, just getting that kind of, yeah. But, you know, for me, it's like building uh, a name uh, sake out of it. And also, like, I knew that at one point I want to, you know, create my own brand or my own product. And uh, uh, it was a great way of, you know, establishing my name. So that before way. you established your name, I agree that it's a great, it's just a great platform and that you're in control of it. It's a great platform. So when you got yeah. to LA and you had done your makeup, uh, you know, course or school, how, how did you know where to start? What did you do? So when I came to LA, first of all, the reason why I came to LA was because my brother then moved to LA before me because he is a, he's a, actually a director and, uh, he was working in Los Angeles and he, um, he was married at that time and actually his wife passed away and they just had a small child, uh, which was one year at this time, my, my nephew Morgan. And uh, when she passed, um, he asked me if I could come and help wow. him uh, for, for a little bit. And I, you know, I just finished my school and I was sort of like, you know, in the middle of like, I don't know where I'm going to live, what I'm going to do. So I decided to come and, you know, help him for a year and just sort of like help him, you know. So the impetus of uh, it was actually again. coming to help your brother, not to be a celebrity makeup artist in L.A., uh, absolutely. I had no idea that I'm going to actually end up living here and start my career in Los Angeles. Um, that was all, all later, but, um, because he was a director and he was working, he was actually really successful. He worked for an amazing company at that time called Propaganda, who, um, you know, that the hottest directors, uh, there at the time, like Spike Jones started there and uh, David Fincher. And so he was doing like really cool music videos at that time. And, um, he worked a lot with, he loved working with Paul Starr, which was, um, like, I think in the nineties in Los Angeles, one of like the, you know, the biggest, yeah, he had artists. a big career and. Yeah, he had a big career and uh, my brother loved working with him. And uh, and uh, he asked him at that time if I could help and assist him sometimes. So that was sort of like my my in with 
you know, that world. You and, knew you and didn't want to do film or TV. I I actually I actually did one movie. Um, <laughs> That's I, all you when need. I started working, <laughs> yeah, I did one movie with Madeline Stowe. I remember I was I was working uh, on an editorial shoot with Madeline Stowe that was also in the uh, like early mid nineties, and uh, she really liked the way how I did her makeup. She liked that you know she, she loved how natural I made her look, and then she asked me to come in a movie with her, and that was my first movie experience, and I was away for like five or six months and after that I was like it's just not for me I just I hated being on set for like 15 hours every day and just doing the same makeup every day like the continuity of the continuity not yeah that I mean that is just like if you weren't good in school continuity is probably not your strong suit you know speaking for myself it just it wasn't Exactly. I just like, it was just like, um, yeah, I was like, I, I think I would more prefer to be on set on like editorial shoots and advertising. And like, that was more appealing to me than being on a movie set. Do you remember when you got like your first break? There's a lot of breaks in your career, but you know, that first time where you felt like you could maybe support yourself doing makeup or... I think my biggest break was when I met uh, Rebecca Romaine. Um, I met her, uh, like I actually, at that time, I worked a lot for a, a catalog called Spiegel. Oh, yeah, I don't I know do. if you remember that catalog. And uh, they they um, they hired like really big models. Um, like I remember meeting Heidi Klum with with Spiegel, like she was 19 and, you know, uh, like she literally just came from Germany and I met Rebecca on Spiegel and we became friends. And I remember she was asked to be on the cover of GQ with Dennis Rodman. And I remember that was sort of like the first time when big models were able to request their own hair and makeup mm-hmm. because that wasn't like a very normal thing at that time. You know, she was like just a model at the time. She was not an actress. She was just a model at that time. Uh, and uh, I remember her requesting me to be on, and that was sort of like my very first big, you know, photo shoot. And, uh, and she was just like, she really helped me a lot and she requested me for so many amazing shoots. And so that was sort of my first break. And then my, my other really big break was working with, um, Vanilla Kirsebaum, mm. who was also a huge uh, Sports Illustrated model at that time. And she had a huge contract with Elizabeth Arden. And uh, she also was one of the first actresses, uh, first uh, models who dabbed into acting. And she got a big uh, role with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think it was called um, Batman. And, and he's uh, Austrian too. And Not that you want to claim him, but Austrian. yeah. He's Austrian and then also exactly. And then also with her working with (laughs) with um Herb Ritz and Bruce Weber and like for for photographers like that, it was amazing to just have the opportunity to work with Did you know what an amazing opportunity it was to work with those photographers at the time? No, I didn't. Like I remember working with Herb Ritz. For the first time, it was just, um, I was just, you know, I was so young. I was literally, you know, a kid myself. I was like 25, 26 years old. Um, No offense, but but usually really big photographers 
fight for their own hair and makeup. So it, it's great that they actually were able to to bring you on the shoot. It, it's, I mean, absolutely. I was, I was really lucky um, to have, uh, you know, models at that time fighting for me and being able to be on shoots like that. Um, definitely. Did you have an agent? I had an agent. Uh, yeah, I had an agent at that time. It was the Rex agency. And, uh, and what yeah. size was the industry? Okay. Like now everyone's a makeup artist. Like I, it's never been a bigger industry. I don't think between social media and then actually people working, but at that time in LA, it must've been much smaller in terms of like the community. Oh, yeah. It was so small. It was, uh, it was so different. And I think that you really had to, you know, you had to like, sort of like climb the ladder, I always call it like, you know, you had to really be, you know, learning, like assisting and doing editorial work. And uh, I think nowadays, it's just, it's such, it's so different, the industry now than back then. What kind of editorial work were they doing in LA? Because now they do a lot of it. But were they always doing shoots like in Malibu and, and things like that? I mean, especially working with someone like Rebecca or, you know, back then I was doing a lot of like Shape Magazine, FHM, uh, Marie Claire. I mean, we did, you know, we did shoots here just the same. I mean, not as much like you do in New York, but we definitely did many shoots in LA as well. There used to be also a huge difference between, at least in my snobby New York self, that the New York makeup artist was very different from the idea of an LA makeup artist. And that is no longer a thing, really. I think now they would say fashion versus celebrity, but did you, were you aware of that kind of snobbery coming from the East? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, working with photographers sometimes uh, where they would just mention they really don't want to work with people in LA. They want to, especially with hair, I noticed it a lot that they were like, LA doesn't have any good hair. We need to fly someone in from New York. And which I always found really, uh, really, I just, I found it so arrogant. And I'm like, we have so many good here are people in Los Angeles, you know, like, uh, I, I could never understand it, but I think it's now different than back then. Well, now half of the people Uh, who were in New York have moved to LA, (laughs) you know, exactly. Everybody like started in New York and now everybody's in LA. So actually, if you want to do celebrities move to New York because there's way less of us now. Yeah. absolutely. So when did you meet your husband? I met my husband, uh, I met my husband about 20, 20 years ago, 20, uh, 21 years ago. In LA. We met in, no, we met actually in Portugal. We met in Portugal on a shoot on a commercial. I was working on a commercial with my brother. He was shooting a car commercial in Portugal. And my husband or uh, was working with the German production company at that time. And we met on that shoot. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. And so the reason I'm asking is because you came from a very uh, homogenous community where everyone was not only white, but they were all Austrian and all had a certain set of, you know, I would say the culture is the same. And now you're with yeah. someone who, well, 
he's Asian, but he also grew up in Germany, which is different from Austria, but maybe not that different. How was it received when you um, were in an interracial marriage at the time? Um, yeah, like you just mentioned, for me, you know, when I met him, he is, he really is German. He he grew up in Germany. He went to German schools. So, uh, you know, but uh, definitely when I introduced him first to my, my parents, uh, you know, they, you know, obviously they're, they're from a different generation and it was just like, okay, um, that was not expected at first and it took a while, but after they got to know him and got to meet him and realized what an amazing human being he is, they fell in love with him as well. So, but what I really like when I really started to uh, notice, you know, racism a little bit in, 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 in it was when I had my children, really? you know, that's, yeah, that's when it really sort of like, uh, I never really noticed it when, you know, us being together as a couple more when my, my, my kids were born. Can you um, tell me a little bit I about remember, that? Yeah, I just remember clearly when Valentina is my firstborn, when she was born, um, I remember uh, she was... She was, she definitely looks just like my husband. I mean, I, I, she's, she de- definitely got the Asian genes. And she's beautiful. And, uh, she's really beautiful. But when she was little and, you know, she looked very Asian. And I remember going to the most, uh, pivotal moment, I think was once she was three months old and we went to the grocery store and I had this woman, uh, she was not even in my line. She was like, on the opposite side of the line and she saw Valentina in my baby Bjorn and she was like, did you get, did you get her in China? And I, and like, where did you get her? And I was like, like, she's a thing, not your kid. Anyway, even if you had adopted her, you don't say, where did you get her? And I was, I I was just like, I cannot be like, I had like 10 seconds to respond. And I was like, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be mean. And then I just screamed over and I go, she's from my vagina. (laughs) 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 Did everyone turn around? Everyone turned around and I had this like really cute guy next to me. And he's like, you go girl. You just like, I loved your comeback. And I, I just remember going in the car after the store and I like started bawling oh. in the car and I was like so upset. And I called my husband and I was like, can you believe this woman just asked me this question? And I, and I over, it, she was not the only one. I mean, I've noticed that many times people would just come up and ask me and I was like why are why is this so important to you to ask me where my children are from and and then also when they when my kids you know started getting a little bit bigger and they would understand like I remember just being at certain places when people are like is this your child or did you adopt her and my daughter would be like why why are people asking us this so that was that you know that I had to just sort of like grow a, th- a thick skin to kind of like overcome it. What about but, everything happening yeah. lately with the um, stop Asian hate and all of that? Is that something that you guys talk about at your house? 
Oh yeah, we talk about it all the time, and it just—I just like—I uh, get so upset. Um, I try to bring awareness, obviously, on it on my social media. I post about my client Gemma Chan is super active on social, and like she posts so many, so many videos, and it just like breaks my heart what is going on right now. So I just, I just, I, I get super yeah. upset about it. Well, thank you for sharing that because I think that a lot of people probably um, have similar, you know, feelings about it and it doesn't always get shared. But like to people out there, don't go up and ask someone if they adopted their kid. If they want to tell you, they'll fucking tell you, you know? Yeah, Um, absolutely. So as you went on, you ended up getting like a really great list of kind of major it girls in, in your career. Yeah, so I I kind of see it when I look back at my career, like the 90s was like my learning experience and working with great models and, uh, you know, great photographers and, you know, getting my hands into editorial work. And then in the 2000s, the first, you know, you know, couple of years, I like really got lucky with a few amazing, uh, talented actresses. Like, you know, I, I got to meet Amanda Seyfried right, right at the very beginning of her career. Like Mean right Girls? When she, uh, after Mean okay. Girls. Um, Mama Mia, that's when I, that's when I met her. And uh, with her, I mean, just like that whole ride with her working on Mamma Mia. And I mean, I didn't work on the movie, but just, you know, back then when you had a couple of actresses, you were really set because you, you know, you did um, all the editorial work with them. And then you got to do all the press and all the press tours. Was that your first press tour? And your- no, I had Madeline Stowe before for the movie. No, no, I did other press tours mm. before. So what do you think it is about you? Because you've had a long career. I I bet people don't realize that you've been doing this since the early nineties. What do you think it is about you personally that, and this is kind of hard to answer, but what do you think it is about you that people keep wanting to book you or that you have a loyal clientele? Oh my God. That's such a hard question. Um, I think I just, you know, I think my, I think a lot of it in our job, has to do with luck and personality and talent. So I think you have to sort of have have a combination of it. And uh, I think my personality when I'm working is I, I just sort of like like to do my job and stay out of drama. And I think also I, f- I think that I'm more of like a mom on set, like nurturing. And um, I think the nurturing part is something maybe people are attracted, you know, that that I just like to lift people up. Uh, instead of bringing people down. So how do you um, relate to people who, because the other side are the people who have really big personalities and want the center of attention. Did you ever think that you had to do that in order to be successful? uh, I don't think so. I just let those people have their moments 
and uh, and let them shine. But for me, I like to stay sort of away from it. From draw, I hate drama, and I hate conflict, and uh, I just sort of step away with, from it. And I think what's really nice about our job too is that when you're in certain situations and that you don't want to work with certain people, I mean, you have the you know the privilege of not taking on certain jobs. Um, you know, we don't have an eight to five job where we have to be around the same people all the time, which makes it really unique that we get to work with so many different people. But you're you're such an affable person. Like I don't would never meet someone and be like, oh, Monica, like, gosh, I've got to, you know, be around her. You, you're just always the same. The other thing that I that I know about you is that you're freelance and your partner, your husband is freelance that's great because you're both artists. There must be something that you guys both understand about each other. Um, how was that during COVID to both be artists? Definitely at the beginning, it was super scary because obviously we're both, you know, freelance, uh, freelance and we don't have a steady income. But for me personally, it was, uh, you know, really nice to have some time to work on my new project, Monica Blunder Beauty, and really have some time to reflect on uh, being with my family and having the time that I really haven't had before. I wanted to ask you about your new endeavor. You started an amazing line of foundations yeah. What made you want to take on that huge project of putting out your own line of cosmetics? Oh gosh, it's always been a dream of mine to have my own product for many, many years. And uh yeah, it, it finally came all together. I mean, it was um it was definitely a labor of love. And I wanted to uh, definitely start with a complexion product. That was my dream to um, to do that first. When did you really start? I love, the, sorry, when did I, you really start the uh, makeup I, process of creating the brand? I would say about two years ago. Mm. That's when I started, and that's when I had an idea of what I want to come out with, and that's when I met my partner. Sandy, who is my partner in this uh, endeavor, and we both uh, started Monica Blunder Beauty. How did you know where to start? Even oh my gosh, yeah, it is. I mean, I was, I I really tried to just like learn as much as I can, and you know, meet with people who have done a makeup line and ask them questions, and uh, you know, find out who the best labs are and just like trying to get as much information as I can. And uh, when I started uh, two years ago, I I knew that I wanted to do a complexion product first. Why? Because I love, I love creating someone's skin. That's sort of like my most favorite part of doing makeup. Um, I love like natural looking skin and I love when you can still see someone's skin. And I think it has to do with, again, my upbringing in Europe and the women who I was surrounded by in Austria, in Germany, just like we have a different sort of way of doing makeup and, I find European women to be 
more simple. With foundation, you know? for like, sure. And and in general, like I remember, like my mom would always just put a little concealer underneath her eyes. Uh, sometimes not even wear uh, mascara, but she would put on like a red lip. And she was, you know, gorgeous and it looked beautiful. And, and I find what I noticed here is that everything is just very done, you know? So, um, especially in the last like five years with Instagram and everything taking over. Absolutely. But I think in general, I think it's a different sort of aesthetic, Um, and you think there's a woman in, in America that wants that other aesthetic? So I, I learned a lot from, um, working, uh, I, I had, I worked with Clay Depot quite a lot and they would always send me to, you know, department stores and, uh, I would like spend a day, uh, at like, you know, Saks, Neiman Marcus, Bloomingdale's and just spending the whole day with like, I call it everyday woman. And just learning from her what she really wants. And it's usually like five minutes, easy going makeup, uh, uh, something that performs well and just gives them a nice sort of like natural, you know, look. Right. So why did you decide to come out with the formula in the way that you did? It's not, uh, it's not necessarily a liquid like in a pump but it's got a specific kind of texture to it. Yeah, it's very balmy and very creamy. Um, I, I, lo- I, I like the idea, like the way how I do makeup, I always have sort of like sometimes not even used foundation. I would use concealers just sort of like in, underneath the eyes and in the T-zone and then buff it all over, like to shear it out if I need more coverage. So... I really wanted to create a product that is like multifunctional and that is sort of like a hybrid between the two of them. And um, because a lot of women want to reach for one product when they only have five minutes, I imagine. I think that a lot of women want, yeah, want something that sort of like, you know, works well, but also like have something two in one in a way. Monica, you're a self-funded brand, which is awesome because you own your company. But how do you come out with a brand that can compete with the L'Oreal's and the Estee Lauder? Or are you not competing with them? And how do you compete with the, you know, the Jenners and the Kardashian and Rihanna in terms of their reach on social media as a small brand? No, oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, I started small um, and I obviously didn't come out with, you know, five or six different products. It's one product, uh, seven skews, meaning seven shades and, uh, you know, um, smaller uh you know, smaller MLQs, um, I, I, you know, I'm not able to come out with, uh, you know, 100,000 uh, um, shades yet or uh, 100,000 products Yeah, but it's yet. also so too it's many sometimes. small and selective. Yeah, um, uh, definitely. Um, I, I think what I, what I would like to create with my, with my brand is just something very curated and things that I know that I've used 
with me for all these years on my jobs that I know that worked. And um, I think being more curated, like right now, I feel like sometimes even when I go to Sephora to a makeup store and I, I find it so overwhelming when I see like a lipstick range with 40 different lipstick colors as an example, and who really needs that many shades. So I really want to create something that works and that is curated and that are beautiful products that really work well. And how do you get that scene in, in the world? I mean, I've been really lucky with, I've, you know, I've hired an amazing PR team, MML PR, and they've really helped me strategize on how to launch this product. Uh, we, we, uh, we got some amazing articles in Forbes and WWD and Allure. And, uh, I've, you know, uh, sent out the product to every single person that I know, every single one of my clients, every single hair and makeup person. And uh, it's been really nice to see the love that I've been getting, you know, people, the support. And people love the product uh, people, too. Um, people have been really, really enjoying the product. Um, and the feedback is really beautiful. Um we have had hardly, like, hardly no returns on the product, which is crazy. Like, there's only been a handful of people um, wanting it to return. Uh, sometimes it has to do with the shade range or that they might have chosen the, ro- the wrong color. But what I've been doing is we've been having everyone DM us, and I have my assistant who helps me with our um, Monica Blunder Beauty page on Instagram and people write in and they ask for their, if we can help them color match, which we do. And just to make it a little bit more personable, uh, we also have seven more shades uh, coming now in the next two weeks. That's exciting. Uh, that, that puts us at 14. And then my goal is by end of year, by December to have seven more than we are at 21 shades. And I think, that's a really good number for this particular product because it's really not a foundation. You know, it's very sheer and adaptable. Like as an example, Jessica Alba is a shade four, which is, um, you know, which is a shade I can wear in the summer if I mix it with shade number three as an example. So the shades are super adaptable, um, which is really nice. And, and, just to talk about, you know, you know, a Dior or a Chanel, which obviously I can compete with to come out with 50 colors. Uh, it's just not possible at this point. But do you even, it's too expensive. Do you, are you even thinking about other brands? Do you feel like you have to be competition? Um, I really don't think that way uh, because it's not doable as a self-funded brand. It's just there's no way that I can do that at this but point. But it didn't, you know? it didn't, uh, it didn't discourage you at the same time from coming out with a brand. And no, I didn't. Uh, it didn't because I wanted to start it slow and I wanted to just build it, you know, in a, in a slow way. Is that the same in your career? Do you spend time thinking about other people's career or compare yourself to people in our industry? I, I really try not to compare myself with anyone and I, I just think that I don't want to, I, I want to do it my own way because it's just too overwhelming to compare yourself. Um, it's also, you know, very, um, 
uh, it's just daunting to to compare yourself. I want to do it my own way. I, it's definitely the way to go. Um, what would you say to people who are thinking about starting um, a a brand? What is the most important thing that they should focus on? Um, it depends on uh, if you're if you're starting on your own with no funding. And uh, I would recommend to start obviously slow and have one hero product and, uh, you know, really focus on that particular product and then, uh, you know, uh, add to that product later on, but really come out with your, with your hero product. And I think in my case, uh, Blender cover will be my hero product, uh, even if I come out with other mm. products from now on. I mean, even other brands like Bobby Brown and NARS all started with lipsticks, you know? You have to yeah, start exactly. Somewhere. Bobby Brown started with, she started with one lipstick in, in her garage. Exactly. Um, Monica, this is a question I ask everyone, but if you could go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where would it be? And what would you say? I think it would be around the time when I moved to America and, you know, I was like so sort of like naive and didn't really hardly speak the the language yet. And it was like so overwhelming to come here with literally nothing Um, and having to learn, you know, my way uh, in a big city. Um, I would just tell myself that, everything is going to be okay. Do you have time to play a quick game? Yeah, I would love to. Um, The game is all over the place because at this point, coming up with games is like, I don't know how much I have left in me. So it's a little of this and a little of that. (laughs) Um, But they are so fun and I love it. Um, What ubiquitous French pastry actually originated in Austria? Um. A French pastry mm-hmm. in Austria. Origi- people think it's French, but it actually originated in Austria. And I don't know. In Aust- it's not a croissant. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yes, it is. Really? Yeah. And it's a funny story wow. that croissant was actually um, made as a kind of reminder or tribute to the Ottoman Empire, which has that crescent moon in the flag. And Austria oh God, used to be no a part idea. of the Ottoman Empire. You know, you learn a lot oh when you gosh. press for these um, games. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the name of the Italian dish that closely resembles Wiener Schnitzel? Oh, yes. It's the, oh my God, what is it called? Milanese. Yes. Ding, Milanese. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Milanese. Exactly. The Wiener Schnitzel is but, in my favorite Wiener, food, I have to say. Wiener Schnitzel is amazing. It's so good. It's one of my favorite things. And so hard to make because you have to really have the right meat for it and it has to be pounded the right way and fried the right way, have the right breadcrumbs. It's so good, though. Um, what is the name of the world famous chocolate dessert created at a hotel in Vienna? Yes. Good. I actually stayed at that hotel and they have the cafe that serves the dessert. And when you sleep there, they give it to you every night when you come back to your room and it is heaven. 
Amazing, right? I know. I love that hotel too. It's so what beautiful. is it called? Did you go there for a press? It's tour? the same name, uh, Zaha Hotel. Hotel Hotel Zaha. Zaha. Yeah. Um, no, my partner Zaha. and I just went to. We wanted to go to Vienna, and I loved it, and loved the shopping and walking around the city. It was really cool. Um, Vienna is like I'm. I'm trying to talk my daughter into. She wants to go to Berlin to college, and I'm like, please go to Vienna. It's such a beautiful yeah, city. Yeah, you get in a little less trouble. <laughs> Berlin is like a whole exactly. other story, honey. Um, it is. Yeah. Once a year, the blank takes place in Vienna to raise money for HIV and AIDS. Uh, the Viennese ball, the Austrian, the Viennese. Yeah, ball. I said the life ball. The life ball, yeah. I've never gone. I've never gone. I've been wanting to go for so many years. Same. Uh, true or false, men in Austria pee sitting down. <laughs> false. Really? I read that men in I read that men in Austria, when I was doing my research for the game, pee sitting down. This person just must not have liked Austria. Which by the way, half the time I pee sitting down because I'm just that lazy. Um That's hilarious. But also, but you know true. what? I have a Korean husband, oh. so I—I I mean, you're, I don't know that many Austrian okay, men. Okay, you're gonna have to do your research, <laughs> or somebody DM us and let us know what Austrian men. You know, are there urinals? In let Austria? us know. I mean, there oh, are. Okay. There are. Yes. True or false? <laughs> men in LA pee sitting down. Okay. False. Well, take that, I guess. Um, what is the? <laughs> where's the best strudel in LA? At my house. Really? Oh, I love yes, that. I make you one okay. next time you come. But um, I, I actually, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger used to have a restaurant. Sorry for my notification. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger used to have a restaurant in Venice, which um, is no longer there, Shatsi. Oh. I don't know if you remember that restaurant. And he had pretty good strudel there, but um, I make wow. it at my house. So come it's over. So multifaceted, <laughs> that one. I've always said it. Um, best, best Wiener schnitzel in Vienna. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not from Vienna, by the way. So I don't, I, I couldn't answer that question. I know in Berlin, there's an amazing restaurant. I don't know if you've ever been there for when you were on a press tour. Um, there's one restaurant and I don't remember the name, but they have the best schnitzel. And in Austria, obviously, in my hometown where I'm from. Uh, but in Vienna, I couldn't answer. Do they have anywhere in L.A.? I, th- I th- We don't really have any Austrian restaurants here. So I would more... I you would go get Italian probably, food and get like a Milanese. Italian food and, and you get the Milanese. Exactly. Um, in Austria, the national drink is beer. In L.A., the local drink is blank. In LA, the local drink is tequila. Right. All the real housewives of Amalfi, they love tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is your favorite loose setting powder? My favorite loose setting powder, Laura Mercier. Oh, classic. Goodie, oldie but goodie. Her medium to dark is my favorite for darker skin tone. Yes. It's like the best color i've found um favorite cream blush favorite cream blush um right now i'm really into this uh new brand called tower twin tower 28 yeah they make a gorgeous cream blush i also like jessica alba's 
Cream Blush uh, is really beautiful. Stila has a really nice one. It's an oldie but goodie as well. Um, oh, I have one right now by Milk. Oh. Uh, it's it's a more jelly texture. Mm-hmm. That one is really well, nice. Well, I said cream. Then, I don't want jellies, okay? <laughs> okay, but I have a cream blush coming in the summer, which is going to oh, be Oh, I can't wait. Too. I love cream blush. And actually, almost every makeup Me artist too. does, and I don't think enough women uh, – what did you call them? Everyday women know about it. Everyday women. I feel like the, it's intimidating. It's a what I've found with the everyday woman is that she f- finds it intimidating, and it really is. It's isn't. the least it's, intimidating. It's such a yeah, is, such a gorgeous finish. What is your favorite bronzer? My favorite bronzer, um, I would say Chanel. Do you know the Chanel bronzer in the, the big, gel? T- uh, t- the cream uh-huh. one? No, it's cream. It's it's called Soleil Ten. The Chanel. I do know it, and I think it's hard to find. It's always I think sold it's hard out. to find yeah. too. It's always sold out, and it's it's such a beautiful product as well. Yeah, I love it. What is your least favorite makeup that you're asked to do? Oh, my least favorite makeup. Just really, like that really done look. Like, like you know, Instagram everything makeup. done, done, done. Instagram makeup is just not my, my forte. I'm not either. Now everyone's so diplomatic about it and be like, well, that's what they do and it's fine. It's like, no, it's it's not fine. I find it very ugly. <laughs> um, I, think it's, I think it's important to just really stay true to what you're good at, you yeah, know, you like. and, and don't follow, tra- and don't follow trends. I agree. Just because Instagram is telling you, this is what you need to do. Just stick to your own gun and stick to your own style. I think that's the most important. What is your least favorite lip color? Uh, my least favorite lip color, like a purpley, a purpley um, red, something like really dark. I'm not in, you know, there was like dark brown colors you saw for a mm. while. I didn't understand those colors. Do you mean like the first one, on like a lip. magenta? Yeah, magenta or like the like the chocolatey brown. You know, that has you to remember be done that really kind of well. brown? Yeah. yeah, it has to be done well. More like really a well, mauvey exactly. brown when they get like that purpley brown it looks like frostbitten that's really ugly exactly and we should know better because we already went through the 90s so there's no excuse for it now mine is the the (laughs) pinky purple like kind of like the vanderpump i'm no shade to lisa vanderpump but i do hate that lip color (laughs) that pinky purpley lip color it's just like um yeah barbie too um what is your the least favorite place you've ever had to do makeup on a client my least favorite place in terms of location. Yeah, like I remember doing it in like a closet with no light and like no window and you're using like your phone. I mean, I, I can't uh, call out like one particular place, but, you know, in general, we have to adapt, you know, working in such crazy conditions sometimes of like, uh, you know, very little space to set up and, you know, dark rooms and uh, uh, moving, you know, trucks or moving vans and, and in you 10 know, minutes. Uh, I feel, yeah. So that's, I think it's really important to have 
a good setup. Like I, 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 what I noticed a lot of times with the younger makeup artists or people who just start, they come with these huge bags and have like everything with them. And, you know, uh, I, I, I find it now after I've been doing this for almost three decades, I just, my bag is so yeah. little. I have so little things with me and I just want to be, you know, very like when I, when I just, it's literally like a briefcase. I open it. And I work out of my kit and I want to make it super easy so that I can, you know, adjust to all the the locations I'm working out of. Absolutely. I never understood the, the like having the huge kit and another kit just to show off like how much makeup you have. What is the favorite yeah. place that you've ever gotten to do makeup? I just remember like really loving. I there was one year that I had to go with Jessica Alba and Megan Fox. I, I literally went to Tokyo and to Korea like six times in one year. And I just that one year in particular I really fell in love with Tokyo and I just like loved everything about it. Just like the whole energy of, of that city was just so vibrant and like so creative and amazing, but just like being in Tokyo, I would say has been my favorite place and my favorite place to make up and favorite place to buy makeup. It's and utopia makeup, for makeup yeah. artists. Um, Monica, I really thank you for taking the time to be on my podcast. I thank you very much. And uh, I, I wish you the best with this podcast. I, I, I'm really proud of you that you started something like this. And uh, I know that you're going to go really far. Oh, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.